In our latest episode of our True Connections podcast, Alan Hooks speaks to fintech startup entrepreneur and CEO of Pine Labs, Amrish Rao. Amrish has over two decades of experience in the fintech sector, having run his own startup and built a number of large organizations. In addition to learning Amrish's views on the post-COVID world, we hear his fascinating story of his journey as an entrepreneur. Amrish, really delighted to have you join us today and looking forward to hearing your thoughts from an investor's perspective, but also from a business leader's point of view in an industry which is leading the way in how we live our day-to-day lives. Your career has certainly been varied and today you're most certainly regarded as being at the forefront of driving and reshaping digital transformation in the financial services market. And as a notable angel investor too, it would be really interesting to give our listeners some insight to where it all started for you and bring us up to speed in terms of your career to date. Thank you. Thank you for having me here. Look, I've had a very interesting mix between corporate life and startup life. I'm 47. And when I was about 35, 36 years of age, I reached a point where I think I went through a classic midlife crisis. And my midlife crisis was not try and buy a Harley Davidson or go on some spending spree. My midlife crisis was just try and disrupt the status quo. So at the age of 35, 36, living a great life, working for a corporate, earning fantastic salaries, being based in Singapore, I just had this massive bug to try and do something in the startup world. I was already in the payment space. My early part of my career was in payments. And I was getting to see a wave coming along in India. So over the last eight years... What I have been doing is I've actually embraced the startup world and I did my own startup in about 2012, 2013. And this startup was largely in the online payment space. So India was going through a massive revolution. Consumers were getting used to mobile phones. They wanted to purchase new goods and there was payment system which was required to solve for this problem. We saw this opportunity built out a online payment gateway for India. And between 2012 to the time when we sold it in about 2016, 2017, we built what was India's second largest payment gateway. And that was called Citrus Payments. That was my startup. We got acquired by Naspers. Naspers, the same guys who own Tencent. So we got acquired by Naspers. And I then went to work for Naspers. And I worked with them for almost about three and a half years. I'll come to my Pine Labs bit later, but that's what I've been doing over the last eight years in my startup world. In the first part of my journey, as you said, I started off with Siemens, very lucky to get that job. And what was even better for me was the first job was into ATM and ATM sales. In those days, an ATM was considered to be technology and trying to disrupt banking. So I started off there. From there, I went to NCR. I had a pretty large stint of about seven years with NCR. You would remember, again, NCR used to be a market leader in ATMs and financial services technology. I worked with them for a long time. And in about 2005, I got this fantastic break to go work for First Data. First Data, which recently got acquired by Pfizer. I worked with First Data between 2005 to 2012. 
wherein we built one of india's largest franchise when it comes to offline payments what's offline payments the classic pos using cards to make purchases paying for your hotel bills we built india's biggest offline payments network in first data in india and that's when i saw this massive digitization wave which led me to do my own startup i already spoke to you about my own startup and now what i am doing is my startup was funded by sequoia capital and just when i finished up with my startup and the time with naspers sequoia capital came back and tapped me about a year back to go run one of their invested startup which they had held almost for like 11 years the founder has taken a back seat in that business and they wanted a new ceo to come in they felt i had the right balance between the corporate world and the startup world and i'm hugely excited to be here at pine labs just to give you a little bit about pine labs easily the biggest payments platform in india we have sequoia capital mastercard paypal as some of the investors in our company and something which is public knowledge is we recently got valued at 2 billion dollars so yeah that's me i've had a fun journey enjoyed what i do and i do what i enjoy and amrish you mentioned payment industry and we talk about sort of the electronic money institutions but in terms of the ecosystem that surrounds this whole industry it's enormously broad isn't it i mean you're thinking from everything from in-store payments to credit card and mobile payments how does pine labs fit into that system where do you slot in in the various different facets of the industry see in india there are 60 million small businesses and these are your classic mom and pop stores spread all across the country and these mom and pop stores are slowly adopting to digital payments as they say right that it sometimes takes 10 years for change to happen sometimes change happens in 12 months what we have seen out here is in the last 12 months the indian mom and pop stores have adopted to digital payments in a very quick manner just to give you some statistic adoption of digital checkout in a offline small store in india has actually doubled from where it used to be prior to the start of this pandemic so in 12 months time we've seen tremendous amount of growth in pine labs our focus is largely to digitize the checkout and the payment related services around that checkout but more importantly where we are headed is we are trying to digitize the entire commerce which happens at a merchant location so to start off with we help them with their retail payment related services but going forward what we started to do is we started to deliver apps which are very specific to the industry that the merchant might be in so for example if the merchant is a salon on the pine labs terminal we also provide them with a salon management software and that's an app which they can download from pine labs so we do payments and we also do commerce and then lastly an area which where we are headed into is into financial services what we are getting to see is these merchants have requirements for credit these merchants want to provide credit to their consumers their consumers are looking for buy now pay later services we at pine labs believe that we can deliver a differentiated experience when it comes to buy now pay later and when it comes to providing credit to the merchants you know in europe you would have seen klarna and you would have seen affirm in the us and in australia there is afterpay 
the biggest buy now pay later platform in india in the offline world is through my company and amrish you've touched on a couple of things there which i want to come back to a little bit later but you touched on the exponential growth that's going on in the industry at this point in time and the other point was the global markets where similarly growth is extraordinary where do you see pine labs in that obviously you're a market leader in asia taking significant market share but do you see yourselves as a firm looking beyond Asia for markets for growth? Yes. So, you know, we already have presence in Malaysia. In Malaysia, we manage about 20,000 small merchants. We are very keen to expand into the Middle Eastern markets. But just about three months back, we announced that with our shareholder, that is MasterCard, we will take buy now, pay later into five different geographies of Southeast Asia. We see the buy now, pay later wave coming up in the Southeast Asian markets, and we want to lead that. We want to digitize commerce at these small stores. We already have presence in Malaysia, but we want to go out to some of the other countries. So absolutely, global expansion is something which is important for us and for our growth. I'd be interested, Amrish, as to how you felt about going from a big multinational corporate at a firm like Siemens to creating your own business to then going back to being involved in another large firm again. We hear from a number of entrepreneurs and business owners about the autonomy that you have as being your own leader in your own firm. And it'd be interesting to see if you found that quite difficult to give up when you went back into a large corporate? You know, this is an interesting one. We are living in an expansionary economy. We are living where the tide is raising every boat. And hence, at this point of time, many average folks tend to look smart. I would want to believe that I'm one of them. But what worked for me, I think one of the things which I learned within the first 10 years of being in the corporate world is there is no place for negativity and pessimism. Whatever that you do, you've got to be very, very optimistic about the future. You've got to believe that tomorrow will be better than yesterday. I am in a space in which I can very confidently say that tomorrow morning will be better than today. Because think of this, right? I'm in a space in which I'm moving from paper-based payments to digital payments. Is there anybody out there who believes that the movement from paper-based payments to digital payments is actually going to slow down? It's never going to happen. So I'm lucky to be in a space where the future is always better than where I am today. Now, because I'm in that space, I've had the opportunity to invest into areas which has given me very good returns. So something which I learned very early in my career has helped me tremendously. So I look at things very, very positively. I don't like my organization to build products to solve for today's problems. I like to build products which are solving for tomorrow. Let me give you one example. There are quite a few people who will come back and say, oh, but the real India is in the villages. And in the villages, you are still on a 2G network and a 3G network. We need to build a payment systems which works for 2G networks or 3G networks. And my take on it is, don't bother, guys. Build for 3G, 4G, 5G, because that's where the future is. Don't solve for today's problem. So that is one thing which worked very well for me. The other thing which I think has worked very well for me is I don't take things very seriously. I tend to treat everything like a game, everything as a sport. 
There are days on which you're going to win. There are days on which you're going to lose. At the end of the day, you just need to find out if you gave it your all. So if you believe you gave it your all, then you should be happy and satisfied with your own self. So, you know, I don't take things very personally. I don't get stressed out. So I think that's another thing which has helped me maintain my work-life balance over the years. And Amrish, in a sector which has very much relied on traditional methods of engaging with consumers, such as the financial services industry, how much have you seen a shift in that mindset to your point on thinking about tomorrow, thinking about the future rather than looking backwards? What's your experience? So, you know, everything that you build is really down to friction. And if you can build a product which solves for friction, you will always be successful. Let me give you one example, right? When we all think of banks and financial institution, it invariably boils down to friction associated for us to open up an account, to make an account transfer or to make a payment. Those fintechs which can solve for friction, which allows money to move quickly between two individuals, they will certainly become successful. Now, there are also many founders who try and solve for something which is five years ahead of today and they tend to fail. What you really need to do is figure out where the pain point is there today. What are the areas which are causing friction? And then how can you solve for the friction for the immediate next 18 months time and 24 months time? And if you can solve for it, I think you would have done extremely well. Again, I'll give you real world experiences. So when you think of in the UK, there is VocaLink and in India, there is uh, UPI and in Singapore, there is PayNow. These are ways in which money can move from one individual to another, almost like WhatsApp messages. Now, what has really happened is you have taken out the friction of money movement between two individuals. Now, do you really believe somebody is going to go back to this ECS world and RTGS world for money movement? People will always go to messaging-based money movement because it just completely takes friction out of it. I think the best fintechs or even TransferWise. So when you look at a TransferWise and how TransferWise has disrupted the remittances world, I think that's really, really interesting. So if you can solve for friction, you'll always have a successful fintech for yourself. And talking about planning five years ahead, Amrish, I want to talk a little bit about your experience of gaining investment and working with third-party backers. You mentioned already Sequoia Capital, your involvement with MasterCard, PayPal, etc. And again, the numbers are astonishing when you think of the plans that MasterCard has to bring you know, hundreds of millions of consumers into the digital economy in the years to come. But what's been your approach? I mean, many of our listeners will be entrepreneurs seeking investments. There will be entrepreneurs and business owners who have worked to a lesser degree with some third party supporters. But how have you gone about that? And what's been your thought process when you've been thinking about who you would work with? I guess when you're thinking about some of the names that you're currently involved with, using some of the expertise that they can bring can really accelerate your business multiple times over. But I guess in some of the earlier days, you wouldn't have had that luxury. So I'd be interested to hear how you go about that and what's the mindset from your point of view. Yeah, I think you're going to break it up into three parts, right? One is somebody who is going to back you for growth. 
second is somebody who's going to back you for your abilities to expand and grow the business to many many markets and then there's a third one which is actually going to back you for scale and you always have to understand which investor falls into what bucket so when you look at a sequoia whom we have with us sequoia has a extremely high growth mindset and sequoia wants you to you know try new products try new ideas invest into areas which haven't been explored before because they have generally been of the opinion saying that if you hit upon one massive success then this company is golden you have a mastercard in our case or paypal in our case which takes us to many different markets introduces us to bankers financial institutions and gives us abilities to go into new areas without having to make very big investments so and those are what you call as a strategic investors and then third is a classic private equity which is looking for scale and wants to help you scale at the same time you manage your operations your cost manage your ebitda in the right way now depending on your journey and where you are you really need to balance between what kind of investor that you want to bring on board you also need to understand the time of the market today we are at a time when growth in technology is valued much more than just focus on profitability and at that point of time your investors can play a very important role and that point on the valuation of technology versus profitability i guess is the key factor in driving valuations right now is that the way you see it as well amrish that's correct that's correct so you know i think we've now seen enough proof out there that some of these technologies will get adopted you know somebody would have asked me one year back that do you think zoom is going to become successful i would have told you that zoom will become successful the point is i would have said zoom would become successful in the next 10 years to 15 years time nobody envisaged that zoom would become successful in the next 15 months so for all of those people who think that the valuations have gone way ahead of reality what they don't understand is that investors are liking the fact that timelines have got crunched the kind of results that zoom is showing today it was earlier expected to show in the next 5 years or 6 years time and by the way this is just example i really don't know what zoom was showing as their you know projections but just to give you an understanding of it i think timeline has got crunched future has come nearer and investors are saying if you invest at this time into growth can you even accelerate this further and actually that brings us up to the current day i guess amrish in particular and thinking about the growth in the fintech investment space itself and transaction volumes up significantly across all markets at you know 20 and 30% in some areas i guess we've seen covid as a real accelerator of that growth bringing forward those potential returns 2 and 3 years ahead of time what's your take on the current situation and and where do you see it going from your point of view so look again i'm not an expert at valuations or where the markets are so i'm just a dumb operator who knows how to run businesses but what i can tell you is consumer behavior has changed businesses have changed their style of operations their adoption of technology is at a all time high and we've almost got to a point where adopt or perish 
and businesses as well as consumers are saying that I want to adopt. So I do sit in the camp where I feel that there is going to be a secular growth in the technology space for the next few years' time. Look, as I said, I have no clue is a Tencent valued right or is a Peloton valued right. But investment is still strong. I think that's right to say. I mean, whilst some reports would suggest, you know, 2020 wasn't particularly good for fintech investment, VC investment remained towards the upper end and operations continued to grow well. And as you say, the seismic change in the way in which the retail industry has had to adapt, the impact of lockdown and restrictions trickling into the way in which we live our lives, all must bode well for the electronic payments industry. Absolutely it is. As I said, you know, very lucky to be in a space where tomorrow is better than today. And that move towards digital payments is happening at a very, very fast pace. And, you know, for us, it's just a fantastic move. What I don't have with me is an online payment space. I wish I had a platform to even solve for online payments. So looking forward to solve for that at some point of time. And what do you mean by that, Amrish? What are you thinking? My own startup, right? What we used to do in my startup is we used to run a massive payment gateway in India. Right now in Pine Labs, I don't have a payment gateway with me. I wish I had one. So it suggests that there's still room for newcomers into the market, despite the competitive nature that we see currently. Absolutely. Absolutely. Amrish, just finally, we've spoken a lot about the initial sort of stages of convergence of fintech into digital banking, disrupting very much the traditional lines of banking businesses like trade finance, retail banking and trade and payments. What further thoughts do you have on potentially additional convergence in other segments of the financial services sector, wealth management as an example of that? Do you see progression in that respect? So I actually have a very strong opinion on this topic and it might be music to some of the wealth management companies and private banking organizations. So I believe that you can disrupt, you know, equities and bond trading market. What I don't think so you can actually disrupt is wealth management. And let me explain this to you, right? As a consumer, you're always comfortable in storing your money with a bank because banks have many backstops if something goes wrong. Similarly, when it comes to your own wealth and growth of your wealth, as a common consumer, you don't feel comfortable to trust an algorithm to run your money better. You still want to see people in flesh and you still want to speak to somebody so that you are comfortable that the advice that you are getting is going to ensure you never end up losing money. And hence, I feel while there will be many players who will start to chip away into the wealth management industry, I think in general, wealth management will continue to remain very strong and won't get disrupted very easily by the fintech startups. However, insurance, payments, remittances, banking in terms of deposit taking, lending, I think those are the areas which will continue to get disrupted and banks and financial institutions will need to work a lot harder to protect that base. 
that is music to my ears, <laughs> Amrish. It's also something I think we see also within our business. You know, we're very much a relationship and advice-led firm driven by, you know, the personal connections and relationships we have with clients. But I think the important thing for us is to make sure that we augment our services with a digital agenda to support the broader client experience. And of course, there'll be other sectors of the market where a much more digitally focused robotic approach has already had an impact. But as you say, you know, the personal connection and the way in which people want to manage their own wealth is important. Yes. Amrish, huge thanks to you for joining us today. It was really interesting to hear from you and hear some valuable lessons for our business owners and our entrepreneurs to look out for. We look forward to hearing from you next time. Thank you. And it was good chatting with you. That's all for this edition of Julius Baer's True Connections podcast. Thank you for listening. And please do keep in touch with us on Twitter, LinkedIn, and at juliusbear.com. Mm-hmm.